I don't want to dwell on it, but we do need to acknowledge that we lost Grant Thompson. The world lost Grant Thompson this week. Yeah. Um, and uh, it sucks. That's yeah. A, that's a crappy thing. Yeah. A friend sent um, me the memorandum video, the one minute silence video. I thought it was a joke. I was like, this can't be real. It's just yeah. uh, so abrupt when somebody so young with so much potential just suddenly dies. It's really, really an eye-opening. Uh, it's an eye-opener, you know, to everybody to be like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the the exact thing is, but to be more safe, just be more conscious of your surroundings or, you know, think for a second before you leap. Who knows? I don't know. I'm a little bit of a fraidy cat when it comes to taking chances like that, but... And then also, for me personally, I, I see something like that, and you know, it could be to your own fault or no fault of your own that you suddenly meet your end. It just reminds me to just enjoy life and live the life. And you know, if you're thinking about getting that tool or that bandsaw, and it's only a hundred dollars away from it, you know, it, it, this is how I think. And I know it might sound trivial, but when something like this happens, I think, oh, you know what? Let me enjoy my life. Whether it's getting this thing that I think is going to have more potential to me, or you know, calling that friend that I've been avoiding calling, you know, it's just, it sounds so cliche, but you really got to live in the moment. It's absolutely true. I mean, cliche or not, it's the truth. We only get one shot, right? I mean, and every little time, every little bit of time that we throw away because we're, we think we're too busy or because we, I speak for myself when I'm grumpy, and I don't want to be around people for a little while. And I go like, I'm just going to go be by myself because I'm being pouty or whatever. Like those are moments that you don't get back. Mm. And so you got to decide whether that's worthwhile. I was on vacation last week, which is why we didn't have a show. And I was in Florida, which I'm, I'm not a bit huge fan. I'm not like a beach person, right? So it's, it's not my place to go and like totally relax. So I'm down there trying to enjoy the time with my family, trying to be fully present and be fun and, you know, like, this is fun time. Let's have fun time and not be grumpy about stuff and not be, like, worried about spending money on this thing or whether the kids go to bed at 11 o'clock at night. You know, just trying not to worry about that stuff, trying to have fun. But I would still find myself just being like, this is not what I would have chosen for vacation. I'm like, now I'm looking back going, like, holy crap, like, I lost, not lost, I missed out on really fantastic moments with my kids. I'm going to start crying with oh. my kids. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think, what, uh, were you getting, did you get too grumpy while you were on vacation? No, I mean, I got grumpy because I'm, I'm got grumpy because I'm grumpy, you know, and I'm like, oh, this is not my <laughs> ideal situation. But like, I'm looking at his kid, his Grant's kids don't have a dad now. He didn't have that thing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That's, that's tough. It is. It really is. Well, you, got you know, while you're l- living your your life, I think uh, we're influenced a lot with social media. Everybody's on Facebook and Twitter and this and that, and we're trying to impress other people. And uh, I think it's important that you make the decisions and live the life that you want to and not what you think your Facebook friends yeah, should see. That's a good call. You know, just stop stop being influenced so much and... Live your live your life. Yeah. I think the the biggest thing that's been on my mind the last day or so um, was just about, you know, his family, about his family that's 
doesn't have him now. And, that, you know, you can internalize that and you can make that about your like, what if in, in your own life, whether you are the person who's missing um, your parent or your friend or your whatever, or if your family loses you. I mean, that stuff is terrible to think about. But unfortunately, it's a reality for all of us, right? It's going to happen eventually. Um, and it really is a good reminder to just make all the moments count to make all of the, you know, your choices worth something. And, and, uh, I don't know, it, it's grounding, you know, speaking of making your moments count about a year ago, maybe it was a little longer, but, uh, Grant decided to not be on the camera and be behind the scenes a little bit more and let other people do the projects and the experiments on camera so he could spend more time with his family and uh yeah. you know that i think that gives you an idea of the type of person he was and how sweet he was yeah i mean i spent a little time with him you know we worked together on the um the uh escape room thing for lowe's and i'd met him a couple of years before that at vidcon and i remember like the first time i met him the first thing he said to me was not like and you know he'd he knew who I was through YouTube, but the first thing he said in person was like, what do you really like to do outside of work? Like, tell me about who you are and how you got to where you are now. And I thought that was so cool because it wasn't just like, hey, uh, how's your subscriber count going? Or, hey, you know, how's your whatever? And so we immediately jumped into this conversation about family. And it was right at that time where he was trying to decide whether to completely quit YouTube or to figure out a way to make it so that he could enjoy his his life more. And he made that choice, right? And eventually after that, he made that choice to take control of the time that he had and spend it how he wanted to with his family. His, his wife and his kids are huge to him. And um, that actually in that moment set a pretty good precedent for me to start evaluating like as my channel is taking off and as things, as the business is growing, like I have to be careful to not let it get away from me so that I lose track of my involvement with my family or lose opportunity because I'm just trying to grow this business. What's really interesting is um, the uh, Made for Profit guys, John and, and Brad, this last week did an episode on their podcast about work-life balance. And they were talking about similar things, not from like a you know loss perspective, but from a letting your life get lost because you're trying to grow this business. And it was an excellent discussion, uh, mostly about health and about like making time for your own physical health and your own like hobbies and things like that. Uh, and that stuff that's been on my mind a lot personally lately as well. And so it's just, it's an interesting intersection of a bunch of different things that are happening. Um, unfortunately, uh, losing grant is just a part of that big, you know, intersection. Um, but I don't know, all those things right now are kind of swirling around in my mind and really just making me, again, take stock of my time and and you know, what I have, what I've been given, and how I can use it to um, to better the situation around me and the people around me, but also just take advantage of the moments that I have. Um, I don't know. I don't really have anything <laughs> final to say about it or anything, but <clears throat> it's a bummer. <clears throat> It's a it's a big bummer. It's a, you know it's funny. Years ago, I uh, was having a conversation with my brother and somebody we we knew had passed away way too early from something stupid, and, and we were having a conversation. And this was about ten years ago. And my brother basically said to me at that point, he's like, "This is why you got to live your life. 
and you just you just got to seize the moment and if there's you know something you've been putting off just get to it and i seem personally i seem a little bit uh jumpy with decisions from time to time and people laugh at me and it really it was that conversation that i had with my brother that plays in the back of my head from time to time when i make a quick decision to to do something like oh you know this is you know I, i'm relating it to objects only because it's tangible but you know, it, it, like I said before, calling somebody or buying that thing you want or starting that collection just because you're attracted to something. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not so sure about how I feel about past lives or any of this stuff. I don't really know if this any, has anything to do with it. But from time to time, I find myself attracted to objects. And I don't know why. There's like no tangible reason why. And, you know, somebody might say, oh, in a past life, I was a locksmith or this or that. But I just go with it, that feeling. I'm like, okay, why am I attracted to this object? Let me just go with it and, you know, learn more about it. And I seem, sometimes I feel inherently knowledgeable about it for no apparent reason. But from time to time, I make silly decisions like buying a racetrack or, uh, and <laughs> people are always like, what, what, like, where did that come from? It's so random. And, and it is because I, sometimes get presented with these opportunities. And I remember the conversation I had with my brother where it's like, just live your life and just enjoy it while you're here because you can just get run over by a truck or you can get hit with a piece of ice from the space. You know, it's like this. So it's like life is so precious. And we're just like, we're ants walking around at any moment someone could step on for one reason or another, but, yeah. you know, like I said, due to our own negligence or just randomly being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, so, uh, I mean, I'm kind of rambling on this topic, but basically that conversation I had with my brother years ago always rings in my head. So yeah. when I'm confronted with an opportunity that like I might not get again, whether it's to be involved in a project or to meet somebody interesting that I'll never get a chance to meet, but I have to sacrifice this other thing. At case in point, I, I remember uh, I, I've told this story 20 times. I, I don't know where exactly if I've ever told it here, but. When I first met Nick Offerman, we we were just casual acquaintances, and Nick was was a, uh, wasn't a celebrity the the way that he is now. It was way before Parks and Recreation and everything else that's come since. And he called me and said, "Hey, I'm going to do this canoe thing. Do you want to take a ride with me?" And I said, "I got you know, I got so much work going on. I really can't. I can't take a ride." He's like, "All right, I'll just rent a car and I'll drive and get the canoe parts, and I'll call you in a, in a couple of weeks when I get back." And then, like, in my head, I had that conversation that I remembered having with my brother. This was over 10 years ago. And I was like, what? Like, this is a great opportunity to hang out with a cool guy who I just met. You know what? I called him back, like, a few hours later. I was like, you know what? I'll take that ride. I'll just move this work around. And I took that ride with Nick. And it created a friendship that lasts till today. I mean, and the fruits of that friendship are obvious. But it's, I always remember that particular moment as that moment where it's like, you know what? You know, life is precious. You know, you don't you don't get promised tomorrow. Take advantages of these opportunities when they present themselves. And I really had that conscious decision of like, oh, I got so many things to do. And then after I got off the phone, I'm like, what are you, an idiot? This is a cool dude. Just take an adventure. Go on an adventure. And that adventure led to, I mean, a large percentage of why I'm here today with, you know, with you guys. And so you just never know. So I'm going to make myself cry. So. <laughs> I've, I've learned to take bad things in my life and then use that as a, as a pivot point, you know, back 25, 30 years ago, I was in a bad car accident. So it made me respect things a little bit more. And then like, 
um, you know, losing my dad, it made me look at life a little bit different. And then, you know, all these, you know, you have close calls, maybe in the shop, and maybe that takes, uh, uh, makes you look at the tool a little bit different, makes you think. And I try to use that as a, as like, okay, from here on out, I'm going to get better about this thing and try to take that bad thing and turn it into something good. Yeah, that's a really good way to do it, especially stuff in the shop. Like having a close call with a tool is a huge thing. And, and you know, we can learn from stuff like that and then mitigate risk within our own environment. You know, and that's that's just a safeguard. Like Jimmy's saying, there's stuff outside that, you know, tornadoes will come through and knock out your house or your shop with you in it. And you can't control that. But, you know, the more things that we can take into our own uh, control and and try to be as safe and as like wise about it as possible. I mean, that's that stuff's just a good thing to do. Um I had another thought on that and I lost it. I don't know. You guys have anything else on this? I don't want to like belabor it, but I think it's definitely important to to just bring up and um oh, I know what I was going to say. I think all uh, all the stuff that we've we all kind of threw around there in my mind boils down to being being like proactive. Like there's it's super easy, I think, for a lot of people, and I'm not one of these people, but I think it's super easy for a lot of people to just, like, float and to go through life or to go through days and just be like, well, this is where I am, and I'm just going to, like, do the thing that I'm supposed to do today and get to the end of the day, wrap it up, and do it again tomorrow, and just, like, you know, avoid responsibility or just kind of deal with what is in front of them and like just move on and not really be proactive in their life. And I think maker people in general are not typically those people, but I guess maybe in different parts of our life we can be, but I think it's super important uh, and applies to all the different things that we just talked about to be proactive, to be, to take ownership over your time, over your relationships and over how you interact with your stuff around you in your shop, you know, like with the tools and with your purchases. And that's all like decisions that you have to make. How, how involved am I going to be in this thing? How much time and dedication am I going to put towards this thing, whether it's family or, you know, business or whatever, Uh, you have to be proactive. You have to decide to be the one that moves, that gets things done, that, that invests in those things. And that's all personal. That's all like from inside. Nobody can force you to do that. Nobody can uh, convince you probably. That's like you have to internally decide to take hold of it, you know, make it your own, do the thing you want to do and enjoy it and live it how you want to live it. So I guess if anything, just that's an encouragement to everybody to, it's up to you, (laughs) you know, Mm. grab it, drive it, make it your own. Um, well, all right, let's let's move on. Unless you guys have anything else. No, I think you you wrapped it up pretty well. All right. What have you been up to? Jimmy, you've had an exciting week. Yeah. You know? It's been a while. I was hanging out with that guy over your shoulder last week. Josh and yeah, I hung Josh. out in Louisville. So yeah, I drove yeah. to Louisville. The guys at first build that I met, I guess it was October or September. When was that that make affair in Louisville? That they say that right? That was Louisville. Uh, <laughs> Louisville. It's Louisville. Louisville. <laughs> last September. Yeah. So last September when I was in Louisville, I was there at the make affair and <laughs> perfect. Louisville <laughs> and uh, they, the the first make crew at 
Louisville. It's, I found a little bit. I found out a little bit more in that's very kind of like it's cryptic. Nobody understands what's going on there. But first build rents space at University of Louisville. They aren't necessarily partners. So right. because of the proximity, there are a lot of students there. And on the back of the space is the Baja team and the, and the, uh, the speed team. So the students are always interacting because they share uh, basically the same garage. But first build is, uh, it seems to be somewhat independent of the university. So one isn't existing because of the other. So it is an independent business. And First Build is a, an amazing makerspace that you can just go in and use. Anybody can go in. You don't have to be a student. And that's why I was trying to make that distinction. I didn't realize that until they made it clear to me maybe 45 times until it finally stuck that you don't need to and be a student. <laughs> what? And to be clear, you don't even have to have like a membership, right? Nope. You just walk in and sign some paperwork basically saying that you're not going to you know, get yourself in trouble in there. And then you're allowed to use the place and get involved with the team. And there's a full-time staff there and everybody's extremely knowledgeable and extremely friendly and extremely helpful. The team there, I mean, the, the, the coolest group of guys. When I was there in September, now here it is this many months later, it's the same exact crew of guys doing the same exact stuff. So there's a lot of stability there and doesn't seem like anybody's going anywhere. And anyway, one of the things that the place does is it produces certain products for GE. GE funds the place, and so they make products with GE's backing. So occasionally they come up with a product inside the think tank there, and they manufacture it there. And one of the things they manufacture, I think they manufacture the ice chest, and there's two versions of an ice chest, and they're working on a, a smoker right now to smoke meat in the house. And they have a pizza oven, which is their biggest product. And it's a pizza oven that is all assembled there. About 90% or 80% of the parts are manufactured there. Laser cut steel is folded and assembled and, and screwed together. And the electronics, some of the electronic components are made there. But it is it is incredible that this beautiful object comes from within that makerspace. And so when I was there, I planted the seed. I was like, hey, guys, have you want me to come back and document this process? And they were thinking about it and they wanted a little bit more PR. And so they remembered I made that suggestion. So they invited me back and I went back and I built a pizza oven with them. I made some of the accessories for the pizza oven. And I made, uh, we, we in one of our early brainstorms on the telephone, they said, well, let's come up with a funny way to cut the pizza. And I, first thing I thought of was that, that Klingon sword. It looks like that's a- really interesting to me that you <laughs> thought of that. Well, I always see that as such an extremely dangerous tool. Like I see, like I see yeah, yeah. the Klingon holding it with the forks pointed forward, and and I always think to myself, oh, he's holding the cutting side, but obviously he wasn't. But that's just what my brain sees that and says, oh, he's holding that backwards. And so when we had our early conversation, I, I figured there was some Star Trek nerds on the team over at First Build, so I suggested it. I don't know what it's called. Everyone keeps sending me the words. It looks like a bunch of consonants. It looks like kaf, 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 kaf. <laughs> I don't know what, how to say it. <laughs> And and it's funny because it is obviously a kafafafafa, but everyone's like, oh my God, is that a kafafafafa? Because you don't realize you're not a nerd. You're not a Star Trek nerd. You're holding a kafafafafa. And I'm like, I know it's a kafafafafa because I thought of it. So we took it and refashioned it so the handle's on the other side, so it cuts on the opposite side. And we sharpened it. And we, we that place is, is has everything. Laser cutter. So we laser cut it and then uh, the... 
Robbie, the guy at the CNC machine, Jake cut, cut it on the laser cutter out of steel and Robbie made the handles and then I finished it up and we had another guy do the bevel. One of the guys who works there, his dad's a knife maker, Ben's dad is a knife maker. So we went to his shop and he ground the bevel. So it was a really amazing group effort. And then I made a pizza peel out of uh, just some scrap wood that was laying around and we made pizza. So when I finally edit the video, it's going to be like, I'm going to Louisville to make a pizza. And then everything that happens between the moment I'd make that decision and making the pizza. And I drove there and I had a great time. I hung out with the Baja team. I drove one of their go-karts or one of their Baja cars, which was pretty cool. That's what Josh was hanging out with me. Josh filmed some of that. We had a meeting about the Maker Fair that's going to happen in September 28th and 29th. And Bob, I volunteered you you and I for Q&A. And Dave, you're invited if you want to come down. Because I was going to be there and you're going to be local. You should, you should totally do that. Um, yeah. yeah, I'll check the calendar. Yeah, so uh, that's a potentiality. Is that a word, potentiality? Or is that a- <laughs> it isn't. It is now. The, so the potentiality of, of all of us being at the Louisville Maker Fair might be it might be a potential. And uh, anyway, it was a great <laughs> trip. And I drove there. So on the way there, I stopped at Stamp Yours. They, they made me a stamp while I waited. I filmed the process. They make stamps in Cleveland. And then from there, I went and visited Bob Lee, who gave me an anvil. And when I left Louisville, I drove. The first stop I stopped, it was ZH Fabrication's new house. And he's like, I need an anvil. I'm like, you could have this anvil. So I, I took Bob Lee's <laughs> anvil from Youngstown, drove it to Louisville, drove it back to, uh, uh. I forget where ZH lives. Uh, what does Zach live? Dayton? Ohio. Or? Right in the middle. What is the city right in the middle? Delaware, Columbus? Ohio. He's, he's outside of Columbus. I believe Yeah, in so I drove... Th- I drove through Columbus and gave him that, that anvil. And then from there, I went and stopped at Sam's house in Pittsburgh. And Sam's got an amazing old sawmill that his grandfather set up years ago. And then he just refashioned and, and reestablished it in a new location and a couple of years ago. Anyway, so Sam cut me up a bunch of walnut logs. And so the adventure was, it was definitely a, an action-packed week. And going yeah. back to what we started talking about, there were moments along that trip where I was like, you know what? It's going to take too much trouble to go there. or It's going to take too much trouble to go there. And even Zach, like when I left, I had to get to Columbus at four in the morning. Zach goes, just ring, just knock, just call me. When you get here, call me. I was going to be like, I won't be able to get there till four. He's like, don't worry, just call me. I pulled in his driveway at 4.30. He was there with a cup of coffee and we were hanging out. So like, I didn't want to inconvenience him, but he's like, don't worry about it. Just come. I want to see you. So there are those yeah. moments where I like, you know, I don't want to be annoying, but just, you know, grab life by the horns and just enjoy it. And that's what I did on that trip. And and I'm not going to lie. I occasionally hear that conversation in the back of my head with my brother. And on this trip, I certainly did, because there were moments where I was like, oh, I don't want to put anybody out. Or if I stop for an hour here, that means three hours on the other side. And anyway, I just enjoyed the ride and I had a wonderful time. And I'm back here and I'm restoring an antique vice. So I start, I'm working on this vice that I, that I found at an antique shop. And so that'll be done soon. So that's what I've been working on. And last night I was in the machine shop till two in the morning playing with that. And uh, I'm back. There's a couple of other small projects moving along. I just got all my weaver leather stuff, which you might've saw on Instagram, which I got this crazy saddle sewing machine, which sews through like three inches of, no, one inch, three layers. I meant to say up to one inch thick of leather. <laughs> Three inches. No, it's it's three inches of thick. <laughs> that's a lot of leather. It'll sew through three to four layers, like not even like without even slowing down. It's just an unbelievably strong machine. And so here, I'm making. I'm showing you guys. I'm making a uh, a little wallet sleeve, but I put a chunk of wood in it to to mold it. So I wet it, put the wood in it, and it's molding. So having that machine and Taylor scraps. Taylor has so many scraps laying around, like literally bins of scraps of like 
wallet-sized pieces of leather that we do nothing with because we haven't focused on it. But now that we have a machine, we can connect them. We're going to probably start making lots of little wallets and stuff. They're all the, the residuals of her chair cutting up, chair, a chair making her chairs. So that's after it. After I talked about, uh, real quick, after I talked about leather stuff a couple of weeks ago, I had several people reach out and like offer to you know, help leather workers who were like, hey, if you ever have any questions or you don't want to know what tools to use or whatever, a lot of people offered uh, help, and that was super cool. So thank you to everybody who did that. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Um, so on that thing that you're holding, it's for anybody that can't – well, nobody else can see it, I guess. But it's two pieces of leather sandwiched around a piece of wood uh, mm-hmm. sewn on three sides, right? <clears throat> yep. So it's like a little pocket. So for that, did you – you wet the two pieces, sandwich them around the wood, and then sewed it, or sewed oh, no. it, and Good then question. forced I in the sewed, wood. <clears throat> I sewed this. I just took two pieces of leather. They're about four inches by eight inches, approximately. It's like the as big as like a big iPhone, you know, but the big size. That's what I have. So I made it to kind of like a little pocket for my iPhone, and hmm. I sewed it together. You couldn't even get your hand inside of it because the leather was so tightly packed together. And then I soaked it in water, and then I jammed the piece of wood in. And so now it's molded uh, kind of, it, it's like a, it's like a, it'll be enough for the, for the iPhone to slip in with the iPhone case on it. That's why I made it. So I have just a screen protector. It's really, I'm just experimenting with the leather. So I, I, I sewed it yeah. together and shoved the wood in. I'm sorry. I'm babbling. It's, so, it's amazing yeah, that's, that's how good to know. beautiful it looks when it's so, it's just so simple, but I it see is, that yeah, and right. that encourages me to make something like that. So I'm going to, once this dries, that the weather's, the leather's still wet, I'm going to sand this edge on a new machine they gave me. It comes with a sander and then it has a burnisher. So this edge will be nice and burnished. And then I'll get some edge coat, which is the black paint and paint that edge. And this will look like a, you know, something you buy at Wilson Leathers. And it's so simple. Hmm. So simple. And this is eight ounce black. It's like a veg tan, but it's black. It's eight ounce thick. So that's like a, a heavy hide leather that you would see like on a saddle. <coughs> Cool. Well, David, what have you been doing for the last week? Uh, two weeks. It's the last two weeks. So we put out the reverse knife video. I think we talked about that on our last podcast episode where I, I took some leftover flooring, which is this Brazilian chestnut, and it's like super rock hard wood. And I thought if I infuse it with resin, maybe I can make it even harder and make a knife out of it. And so we did. We made the handles out of steel. And they are absolutely beautiful. They are sharp, but they are not as sharp as a normal knife. I thought, like, infusing it with resin, I could cut paper with ease. And we could get paper to cut once in a while, but not consistently. And we we had a... Um, I'm not good at sharpening any knives, but we had a little pocket knife that we sharpened, and we were trying to compare it to that. And um, and I was like, well, you know... It's, it's not super sharp, but it's definitely sharp. And I used to cut up a steak, and it cut through the steak like butter. So as a... Yeah, that, that shot was awesome of you cutting the steak with a wooden knife. And yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. It was, it was super cool. So uh, it works as a kitchen utensil perfectly fine. Uh, although it's infused with resin, which I think all finishes are food safe once fully cured. But it usually takes, you know, a good three, four weeks for something to fully cure. And I waited a couple of days. So I... I got a couple of comments of asking how the resin infused steak tasted. So uh, <laughs> that was a, that was a that was a fun video. And then this week we are our, our bedroom in our house is probably the it, it, the, the energy. We just don't like the energy in there. It's it's 
it doesn't flow very well. It's got old carpet. It's it's uh, there's we 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 don't want to hang out in there. And so we're we're trying to transform the bedroom. And so the one of the first things that we're doing is redoing the closet. And currently, there's this IKEA modular system in there that allows you to get more clothes and stuff in there, but it doesn't take advantage of the full closet. So if you um, you know the doorway is like 105 inches wide. But then there's a little bit more space inside the doorway, but the IKEA stuff blocks that. So we're actually losing some closet space. So we're making some custom closet organizers. It's really simple project, but I think there's some good ideas in there. And it has built-in clothes hampers with like pulls out in a in a drawer that's that's hidden. And so even even though it's real simple, I hope people will get some good tips out of there and maybe some ideas for closet organizations for themselves. So then after that, I think we're going to we're going to make another bed, we're going to do a dresser, we're going to do nightstands and we're going to everything is going to be custom just for that room to take advantage of this room that's not very big. And right now we just have this big massive dresser that you have to walk around the where the bed is. We can't have a normal sized nightstand on both sides because it blocks the doorway to the master bath and blocks the AC vent. So we're going to do all this custom stuff in the bedroom just to help the flow and the energy in there. Cool. Isn't it cool? Like after you do something like that, uh, like in other parts of your house, you've already done this where you walk into a room and you're looking around and you're like, I've made 90 <laughs> or a hundred percent of the things in this room, like the furniture. Like it's, it's so cool. Even, even more and, than just making this stuff. It's the, it, our living room is like we refloored this we didn't refloor it we paid somebody else to refloor the living room but then we painted it we i i made the fireplace and we picked out some of the furniture that's in here like our living room we love because we made that it was so different than from what we moved in it it feels like it's it's ours and being able to add custom furniture just for a particular room definitely feels really good. But I think even if you can't make a, a, a chair or a couch or a stereo stand or whatever, like just being able to customize a room just to have a just enough knowledge or just enough design sense to make a room yours is definitely a good feeling. Yeah. And a lot of people will ask me at Maker Fair or in different places, you know, like what's a what's a good project to get started or something like that? And my answer is always kind of what you just said is like walk through your house, look for a thing that is not as good as you want. Like I don't have a place to put my keys by the door or that table that I got from my grandmother is way too big for this particular room or something, you know, find a thing that's like a pain points, maybe an exaggeration, but you know, a, mm-hmm. a thing in your house that's not ideal and make that better. Cause you're invested in it, right? You're going to enjoy it more and more and you're going to be more motivated to get it done, especially as a first project. Like that can be something that can drag on and you're going to be super motivated to get it done and make your space better. So, yeah, I'm totally with you. I think that's a great way to get started. Um, so, last week I was on vacation. He just made that's a face. About all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's about all I have to say. I don't really, I mean, I didn't do anything intentionally. You know, like I actively fought the urge to like, I don't know, find stuff in the yard to make things out of or, uh you know, like I just tried to hang out and we had a really good time with the kids and uh, spent a lot of time sitting by the pool intentionally being bored. Because one thing that like we've talked about this before and we've talked about it at length on No Instructions, the show I do with Josh, it, it like 
vacations are difficult for us, at least the three of us and a lot of people like us. It's difficult to sit down and not be productive. But I also remember very specifically being a kid and being bored and asking my mom, like, what can I do? What? Let's go do something. What, what can I? And she was just like, you need to learn to be bored. And I remember her saying that, like, I can still see that moment. And she's totally right, because being bored, and we, I think we've talked about this before, will force you to uh, mentally fill the space, right? And it gets rid of the distractions of doing work and just lets your mind wander. And when it wanders into places that it wouldn't normally get. And so I tried very hard when I wasn't, you know, playing or swimming with the kids to like sit by the pool and just like sit there and tried not to like plan ahead and tried not to think about. I did that you know, on Sunday. Yeah, I did that on Sunday after my trip. Everything was all settled. I finally got back. I'm back with Taylor and I'm back at Taylor's place and just hung out and did nothing all day long. It was hard. It was very hard. We went out for a couple of walks in town, and and uh, but I had a little notebook b- beside me, and occasionally, because I was in such a relaxed state, I got a lot of good ideas. So I'm kind of doing this like yeah. kind of blue sky, bigger idea kind of thing, kind of come up with like crazy inventions, just to exercise my brain. And that particular afternoon, I came up with like five or six really solid inventions, which are just a note, a line in a notebook now, but could be something. But because I forced myself to do what you're talking about, do nothing. Yeah. It's weird. It's hard. I it is. said, and I think I, it was the first time I've said this in maybe five, six, seven years, but I actually said I'm bored out loud recently. Really? And <gasps> I, I, over the past month or so, I've been doing less work in the evening and just trying to keep it more in the day and just doing less of everything in the evening. And... I I worry that I'm getting bored with the woodworking because I'm doing it so much. So I am I don't ever ever want to not want to wood woodwork, if that makes sense. Hmm. So I think I um I need to find more ways to excite myself and I need to maybe not do it as much. And so mm-hmm. you saying uh, the, the the quote about being bored is you need to learn to be bored is it's kind of reassuring. I I kind of I've never heard that and it makes me think a little bit more. So hmm. I want to be able to, in the evenings to sit maybe watch a TV show and not even take notes like Jimmy was doing and not even think about work and just relax. I want to re- relax a little bit more. And I notice that my productivity, my maybe the whole business kind of flatlines when I do that and it's not growing. But maybe growing all the time is not as important as I think it is. Yeah, I think there's like it's seasonal, right? I think there are moments of growth where you have to and Josh and I were talking about this yesterday. There's moments where like you get to a plateau or a maybe not a plateau, but like a hard stop. And you're like, well, I can either be okay here for a little bit, or I can make this leap. I can put in extra time or extra effort or create a new thing or start streaming on this service or start, do, you know, do another thing. Um, and like our our tendency, I think all of us in this space at least, is to just like, I want to do more. I want to add another thing. I want to add another thing. And sometimes it's okay to just be like, to even pull back, to say, I'm going to stop doing this stuff so that I can enjoy the core of what I do more or allow some free time for all the stuff that we talked about at the beginning of the show, you know, like to actually have a life and enjoy your family and to have hobbies and 
and that stuff all, uh, I don't know, they're all choices that you can make, you know, and it changes all the time. It's definitely seasonal. One of the things I was trying to do when I was sitting by the pool <clears throat> was there's several ideas for books that I want to do that take some creative, uh, I don't want to give anything away. Just, they just take thinking. They just take some time of sitting there wandering and just you know, like, well, maybe this, it could go down this path for a little while. Nope. Got to go back up and go down this path for a little while. And that is stuff that I mentally cannot do if I'm doing anything else. If my hands are on something or I'm thinking about a project or, you know, someone's talking to me or whatever, I can't, I can't wander down those paths. And so that was one of the things I was trying to do. So I guess technically it's work, but it's work that I can't ever fit in anywhere else. And it's a different kind of thing than I'm used to. It's, it's not problem solving as much as just like, what if thing? Is that a word? What if thing? Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. just like imagining, right. Being a kid and imagining what if this thing were, uh, that's not something I make time for. I feel like that's really important. I feel like that's something I should be making time for a lot, but I don't. And so I was trying to be really, uh, purposeful about that while I was otherwise being inactive, you know, unproductive. So uh, this is maybe unrelated, but it's kind of related. I use a sleep app on my phone. Um, I've been using it for seven or eight years, probably pretty much every night. I really like data, right? I like to before and after things. I like to compare progress and have take photos of before and after a thing so I can compare them. And so one of the things that I really like about using the sleep app is that you can put in little checkboxes. So when you go to bed and you set the timer, uh, you can say like, I went on a run today or I worked out or I ate too much food or I felt sick or what, you know, you can have these little checkboxes there. And so I have one that says I felt unproductive and I have one that says I felt productive. And the interesting thing about this is it keeps track of the quality of your sleep using the microphone and uh, it's called Sleep Cycle, if anybody's interested. But uh, it keeps track of the quality of your sleep based on the movement that you have during the night and all this stuff. So when you get to the morning, you can see this percentage of quality of sleep, and it also associates those little checkboxes. So I can look back and say, like, show me all the nights where I felt unproductive of that day or I felt productive. And it's amazing the difference in the quality of sleep with certain things. Anytime I run, I sleep better. Anytime I feel productive, I sleep better. I feel like I've rested more. If I feel unproductive during a day, it agitates me in the evening and it makes me like, you know, I just don't rest well because I don't, I just don't. That's just how I work. Um, but it's interesting on, well, I mean, to reinforce that, I guess, <clears throat> I slept horribly on vacation. <laughs> I was I was unproductive the entire time. And I mean, it was a terrible bed as well, but I just slept poorly. And I really do think me feeling, whether I'm actually productive or not, me feeling productive has a lot to do with how I wrap up the day and how I rest. And uh, so even in times when you're like sitting down, intentionally being bored, I think for me, at least, it has a lot to do. It, I don't know how to say this. It has a, has less to do with what I'm actually producing and more about how I'm feeling about that time. And if I feel like that time was productive from a like what a thing process, you know, like imagining, 
I'm not really being productive, but I did put my mind to something. And at the end of the day, I can feel like, yeah, I finally spent time doing that thing that I never get around to doing. Nothing came out of it, (laughs) but I finally got around to doing that thing and I'll sleep better. I don't know how I got on that or if it's relevant or not, but uh, that's a a pretty cool way for me to kind of uh, see how choices in my day affect my rest, which then affects the next day. Hmm. I do that a lot. I'd rather just not know. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking I, I go to bed like a vampire. I, wait, I go to bed and as soon as my eyes close, I like turn into a solid rock. And then about 6 a.m., 7 a.m., my eyes slowly open up. Like, like it could be 100 years later. It could be 20 minutes later. Jimmy, do you set do you an feel... alarm? <clears throat> uh, I, I do, but I never... I'm always up before my alarm. Hmm. And when I go to bed, typically, unless it's freezing out, I typically just go to bed. I lay down on top of the sheets on my back and then when i wake up i'm in the exact same position almost really? always i lay down like a like i joked with zach and and tracy i said i'm like a vampire i just lay down in the morning i just rise up from the heels of my feet stand up and get out of bed <laughs> just <laughs> like a board <laughs> <laughs> but i just literally lay on my back and sometimes my hands are on my chest and i am just completely out and i get huh. up five or six hours later and then i'm just back to normal and like Sometimes I remember my dreams, but very rarely. I, I almost never toss and turn, ever. I just like staying the same. I'm like a sack of sand when I go to bed. And then when I wake up, I'm like a sack of sand that's reanimated. <laughs> that's funny. I mean, I, I will stay asleep through most nights. But then, you know, when I look at the the little meter thing, it shows you like it has a keeps a waveform of all the sound that's created through the night. So if you're rustling around in your sheets or you're snoring, it'll like record your snoring so you can <laughs> see how much you snore, which is pretty fascinating. Um, but so when I look at that, I'm like, oh, yeah, look how much I was moving and I don't feel rested. That's the thing where you can correlate. I, I feel blah and I see that I was obviously rolling around a whole lot last night. Um so even though I'm actually asleep and not aware, I obviously didn't sleep well. But hmm, I have to set an alarm. Otherwise, I just my body will continue to sleep until I, you know, like nine or 10 o'clock. And then I wake up and I feel terrible because I slept too much. So like I have to actively set an alarm. Plus with the kids, we have to get up for school and all that stuff. But anyway, um, I don't know how we got to that. We're 42 minutes in. Do we want to look at some of these questions from Twitter? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Speed there's, uh, I, asked for, I asked for some questions uh, on Twitter this morning, <clears throat> and a lot of them are about Grant, but we already talked about that. So uh, there's a brainstorming. Oh, here, this is good. From John Shruddle. Sorry, John. I don't know how to say your last name. Shruddle. Um, how about another brainstorming session? Maybe a topic like cool hacks for your car or truck. Or maybe even a challenge one of you is pondering now. You guys have anything that you're working on that you're stuck? Anything we could brainstorm? Hmm. Oh, while you're thinking of that. Yes. Because I'm not going to think of one. I'm going to put that on you guys. Great. Um, I was talking about the paint a couple weeks ago for R2-D2. Remember I was asking, Jimmy, I was asking yeah. you about like the paint chipping off? Yep. Um, I had Bill Duran and Randy Monterio, Mon- Montero. I don't know how you say your last name, Randy. Randy's awesome. He's a R2 builder guy. Um, had them and a couple other people reach out with like their paint process for stuff like that, for painting on aluminum with a color and a matte clear coat and, you know, that 
process gave me several different things to try, different layering techniques to get it to adhere. Um, so big thanks to those two and everybody else who sent me that information. It was very helpful. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to strip most of those pieces down back to the bare metal to be able to like really try that process. So I think I'm going to do one piece, try to perfect that, and then see how I need to you know, roll on the, the rest of them. But that's a drag. Anyway, do you have anything we can brainstorm? Hold on, let me look at my notebook that I started. First build gives out these little notebooks, which are like a passport notebook. So look at that. It fits in my oh. passport. I have a passport wallet. My wallet is from passport. So these notebooks fit right in my wallet. Hmm. Well, that's neat. Well, if we don't have one, I can we can we have other questions here. Uh, oh, I have one that I could throw out there, which is kind of stupid. And it's not cool. I mean, it's it's not it's it's not the uh, I, it's not a brand new idea. So when I researched it, I saw a version of a digital doghouse. Digital doghouse? Digital doghouse. There is a digital doghouse out there. I mean, I, the name I'm using is mine. But the idea of a doghouse, a dog cage that will release the dog at certain times. So I want to just throw it out there because it's not an idea that has been really exploited or even thought through well. There's a doghouse available. So I Google every time I think of something that I think is somewhat original. And there's a doghouse that has a, a, a releasing lock. And this is, I don't understand it. I read it three times to make sure I wasn't reading it wrong, but it doesn't make sense. It's a doghouse or a dog cage that when the dog makes a, a caca, the weight feels it and then it unlocks and lets the dog out. So the dog, so now I don't know if it's a dog cage or if it's just a caca place. Now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Uh, it seems like the opposite of what it should do. <laughs> that's what I'm yeah, saying. It, like, it, that's that's what I'm saying. So you guys could Google this digital lock dog cage. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. My reading comprehension <laughs> isn't the best. And it says when the dog makes a, a caca, the, the lock opens up. So he's in there until he goes and then he's free. So that may, that will only teach him to go inside the cage and nowhere place else. Yeah. He's going to be like, I have to go to the bathroom. Could you please lock me in the box? Uh, <laughs> Okay, you're like, I don't know what kind of training procedure that is. But if if that wasn't part of our personal digital doghouse, what could be part of our personal digital doghouse? Digital doghouse. Aromatherapy, videos of other dogs playing. My digital doghouse would be, I would be locked in a cage. You. I have to draw up a new this project. Is you. Yeah, this is me. I'm locked in a cage. I have to draw up a new project, and that cage does not come unlocked until I have a finished thing that I can show a camera, and the camera has to has to agree that so, that is a finished drawing of a future project. So artificial intelligence. Problems. What if the artificial intelligence doesn't like you? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Here, robot. I'm going to lock myself in a cage and rely on you to let me out. No thanks. Maybe there's. A I don't know, board. like a. <laughs> an actual digital doghouse. Um, I mean, lighting is probably a big thing that, you know, tells most animals when to start to, like, calm themselves down for sleep and stuff. So you could digitally control the temperature and the brightness of the lighting within the thing to, like, tell them it's time to sleep. Uh, do you guys, do, well, I'll tell you what, I put my little guys in a cage, sometimes bear, but mostly uh, bears free to roam because he's too big. But the little guys find it soothing. It's like I go, go in the crate and they both run right in the crate and they both go right to bed. 
And mm-hmm. yeah, and, and then I, I give them obviously a, a a a period of time where they come out and then they're excited. Then I'm like they eat. And then it's like go back in the crate. You know, all right now they're in the crate while I'm doing this. So do you guys all have dogs? Do you do you guys crate train your dogs at all? We do not. No, they we have uh, bells that hang on the door, and the and uh, he'll, he'll ring the bell saying I have to go outside. Oh, that is hmm. so cool. It's adorable, That's but really he also cool. rings the bells whenever he wants anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> bells might mean I want a treat, or it might mean I want to go for a walk. So it's kind of annoying. Yeah, uh, when we we don't have any dogs right now, but when we did, when they were younger, we definitely crate trained the labs, and they did great with it. They had the same kind of thing that you're talking about, where you know they, it was like their their den, so they yeah. loved being in there. They really enjoyed and we it. Usually, we actually left the door open most of the time, but it was just the place where they knew their bed was there. They That's where they knew that they spent their evenings and, or, you know, night when we went to bed and stuff. Um, we had another dog later on that apparently before we got him had a bad crate experience or something. And so the crate became a real point of uh, contention and eventually caused enough problem that, like, it, it surfaced other stuff and we had to end up getting rid of his mm-hmm. dog, uh, that, the dog for safety. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's definitely not something that works for every dog, but we've had good luck with it, with the labs that we had. So. Yeah. But so. I don't know that anything like to that, like did, if you were trying to make that into a project, I don't know that there's anything that would make it more enticing for a dog than just having a little, not tight, but a place that's appropriately sized for that dog. Cause that's really what they want. They just want like yeah. a den. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm just trying to, I was just trying to think of like a, it was that day when I came out with a bunch of products and I thought digital doghouse. I just like the name, but what is it? You know, it could be nothing. It's probably a stupid idea to begin with, but well, I, okay, I guess so the, the idea of a schedule is really the most important thing, I think. Yeah, I think you could, you could do that. You could schedule, um, it opening and closing so that, and maybe like some sort of scheduled treat release. Mm-hmm. So at a certain time, it opens and drops a treat inside the crate, and that shows them like it's time f- for you to go in there, and there's an incentive for you to go in. Mm-hmm. That could I think all be we'd automated. have to give the dog a watch too. <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> wear like a watch on his little wrist. Yeah, and it could dog buzz. Watch. The, do- the, bu- the, wa- the watch could buzz, so it'd be like, okay, your treats over at your doghouse. Go over. Yeah, yeah, no, Your yeah. Push, no- push dog doghouse push notification, <laughs> and then he could, <laughs> he could check his emails on his wristwatch. <laughs> Never mind. I do think no. What you're saying though, I do think there probably would be some uh, usefulness in automating the treat release, at least to show the dog to give them incentive to be there at a certain time, right? right. So like. Or even for dinner, like you could have not, I don't think you're supposed to feed your dog in the crate or whatever, but the food could be released automatically at dinner time or at breakfast time. Um, you know, and that does put them on a schedule. I know like all the animals that I've ever had will fall into the, the rhythm of the house, right? So like our kids go to bed at a certain time and every time the kids go upstairs at that time, all three of our cats follow them up. I don't yeah. know why, but they just yeah. all go up there and then they cuddle with the kids while they're getting ready for bed. And then when we leave to go back downstairs, they all follow us down. And it happens just about every night. Same thing for the dogs. When we would go to bed, they would 
they knew it was time for them to go to bed. We didn't have to tell them, and they would just go into their crate and lay down. So I, mean, I yeah. think they follow the rhythm, and if you can schedule you know, feeding automatically or, you know, like the bell thing to open a door automatically, something like that. Um, well, it's probably ways to simplify that. I don't know. Well, let's put a pin in that and come back to that one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Still working on the, uh, the doggy wristwatch. <laughs> doggy wristwatch. I'd like to see that. All right. Well, we're, we're like 52 minutes in. So you guys got anything you want to, recommend anything you would talk about right after this word from our patreon sponsors oh yeah thank you for that uh huge thanks to everybody that helps us out on patreon this show is 100 percent sponsored by patreon supporters we don't do sponsorships because we don't have to because the patreon people are awesome so big thanks to everybody that helps us out over there especially our top supporters Corey ward works by solo chad from mancrafting maker in training Fun Kiss Artistic Creations, Blondie Hacks, You Can Make This Too, Modern DIY, Jenny and Davis, and Make, Build, Modify. Um, they're our top supporters, but everybody at every level, even a dollar uh, over there gets the after show, which is more of us talking, sometimes secret stuff. Uh, I may have a little tiny secret thing that I could talk about. What? This mm, week. What? Yeah, we'll see. Ooh. We'll see. Um, mm. Yeah, so if you want to help us out, we would greatly appreciate it. And you can go to patreon.com slash making it and check it out. Mm. Mm. What you got? Uh, this week I have a channel called Make and Fake. Um, mm. uh, she, she did a recap. I, I discovered her because she did a recap of the Bay Area Maker Fair uh, a couple months ago. And it was fantastically done. And I've since subscribed to her channel, and she does some really cool, nerdy stuff that I love. It's it's entertaining. She deserves way more views and subscribers than what she currently has, because they're really cool, super awesome projects. And that is called Make and Fake. Hmm. Uh, I, got a, I got an email from... Uh, Make it a, a and fake it. Man. I am sorry. I <laughs> cannot read. Make it and fake it. Yeah, make it and fake it. <laughs> I got an email from a young man that said, how much would you charge me to advertise my channel? And uh, I went and looked at his channel and I, I, I'm not going to charge him anything, but I'm going to suggest his channel. And how do we find out about each other? We just got to network and make friends with each other. And he's a young guy from, I think he's, he's Russian. His whole entire channel's in Russian. And he sent me an email through Google Translate, which was a little choppy, but I totally understood what he was asking me. And the name of the channel is Forging. Oh my God! I'm. Oh, you're gonna laugh at me. I'm trying to find the name of his channel. Forging Armor, I think, is the name of his channel. I just texted you guys. And uh, he makes traditional uh, armor out of sheet metal, and he's an amazing metalsmith. He can contract metal, expand metal, shape it into like a full-on. Like, he's amazing. I, I've only watched about three of his videos so far. And uh, uh, again, I'm Forging Armor. That's the name of the channel. Because yeah. I'm, I'm a little confused because the channel is also uh, written in Russian and, and English. So if you go to him and just tell him that I sent you there, he'll be happy to know that I'm not charging him any money <laughs> <laughs> to advertise his channel. Yet. But, yes. Yeah. No, no. But an amazingly talented guy. Everything's in Russian, and uh, but you don't need to, to know what he's saying to see what he's making. Incredibly skilled. And all seems to be historically accurate. 
just beautiful manipulations and and sheet metal. He makes uh, medieval helmets and and armor and gear and all kinds of cool stuff. If you're into that, uh, I mean, even if you're not into that particular moment in history, just the skills are just outstanding. So check them out. Awesome. Um, so mine, I want to recommend Made for Profit. The show I was talking about earlier. It's our friends uh, John Malecki and Brad Rodriguez. They do a podcast that's it's uh, very focused on the business portion of like kind of what we do. Um, both in content creation and making, you know, custom goods and furniture and things like that. So it covers a lot of that type of stuff. Uh, they have a lot of interviews. I think most of us, uh, maybe all of us have been on that show at some point. Um, they interview a lot of different people about how they work and things like that. It's a good show. This specific episode was about like work-life balance and really, less about balance, more about reclaiming some of your time for your own betterment and for your own health and stuff like that. And I think it was just, it's an interesting topic and hearing what they've come up with to how to like make their lives better uh, or, you know, more have better control over their lives, I think is really good. So I'll link that episode specifically, but you know, they're good dudes too and talented. So go check them out. Yep. Uh, You guys got anything else? That's it. Just live your life and enjoy it. Yeah. Make the best yep. of it. Yep. Word up. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Love you. Later. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Did you say word up? <laughs>